so turn there to John 13, if you was here this morning, to John chapter 13 tonight, and uh, we're going to try to finish preaching up today here in this chapter, and we'll read the same verses, but we'll read one verse further tonight in John chapter 13. The Bible said, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things unto his hands, and that he was come from God, and he went to God. He rises from supper, and laid aside his garment, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you. You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Thank you, be seated. Our fathers, we come to you, Lord, this afternoon. We thank you for the Spirit of God that, Lord, helped us to minister out of this chapter this morning. And now we come back again tonight to the same place. And we know, Lord, there's so much uh, meat in, these, uh, in this chapter and in these words that, uh, Lord, you could minister for weeks on end if the Lord would help you out of these chapters and out of this verse. And God, as we come tonight, we thank you for the good singing that we've heard tonight. We thank you, Father, for these uh, 40 or so that's gathered here tonight, uh, Lord, to be in the service. And, and Lord, they took time to come when others didn't. Uh, Lord, they, they drove the distance when others stayed home. And I pray you'd bless them tonight and give them something extra tonight, Lord, I pray. Be with those that's not able to be here tonight because of legitimate reasons. And I pray the Lord would comfort their hearts. And, Lord, may the power of God's Holy Spirit move along Lord, the line and out into the internet world and touch somebody there in their living room tonight. God, I pray and I thank you for Erica that was saved and her uh, testifying to it this morning. We thank God for that. And now, Lord, we ask you to help us to do our best for you. And uh, Lord, help us, I pray, to be given the right kind of spirit for this kind of sermon. And Lord, we'll be careful to thank you and praise you for all that you do for us day by day that we don't deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. This morning we focused on the words of Jesus 
when he said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And we emphasize that uh, the word washed used there in verse 10 has two meanings. And the first meaning has to do with being washed all over. And the other meaning has to do with only needing a part washed, the feet washed. And uh, we went over into the Old Testament. We showed you how them Old Testament priests, how that they was washed from top to bottom one time, one time. But after that, they was never washed again other than when they went into the Holy of Holies. They would have to wash their feet and their hands in the brazen laver. And it's a picture of salvation. When you get saved, you don't never need that kind of washing again. Uh, but you do need your hands and feet washed. Uh, as you go through this world, uh, you get uh, contaminated by the things of this world. That's why we need daily confession and daily prayer and daily forgiveness. Uh, but tonight, I want to look at another portion of Scripture tonight and focus on it for a few minutes if God would help me tonight. And uh, that's in the end of verse 13 where the Bible said about Jesus, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. Now to grasp the, the, the power of that statement, to grasp uh, what the Lord is really saying there, we have to realize the time frame in which it was said. You see, 24 hours from when Jesus spoke those words, His earthly life would be over. Uh, he would not argue anymore with the Pharisees and scribes and try to talk to them. Uh, he would not preach any more sermons uh, this time. He would not. He would not do any more miracles uh, as he did before leading up to this time. And in 24 hours, his body will hang limp upon a cross uh, and the blood having flowed out of it and him having given up the Spirit to the Father and having breathed his last breath, his life will be over in 24 hours from when he speaks these words. And it's very important that you notice the Bible says Jesus knowing. He knew it. He knew that within 24 hours that he'd be hanging on the cross and his life would be over. And so like, like anybody, Jesus knowing his life was about to end, Jesus knowing that in 24 hours they would crucify Him. Uh, Jesus did not want to be with the large crowds like He had been during His ministry. Uh, uh, he did not want to be with the 5,000 that He fed. Uh, but knowing that His life was about ended, uh, He was just like you and I would be. And like I've seen over 40 years as I've gathered in hospital rooms and I've gathered in intensive care wards and I've gathered places, uh, uh, you know who people want to be. they got a lot of friends, a lot of people they know, but when it comes down time for their leaving, uh, uh, they want their closest friends there gathered around them. Uh, that's where we find Jesus at tonight. And the Bible said Jesus knew that His hour had come. Uh, he knew that His hour had come. And so when we look at that, we realize tonight that what's going on here, our Lord is gathered there with those twelve disciples that has walked with Him for three and a half years. He slept with them, preached to them, taught them, uh, uh, eat with them, uh, and uh, just about anything you could think of, He's been there. They are the closest ones to Him. They do not realize that in 24 hours that He will be gone, uh, but He knows that within 24 hours uh, He will be gone. Uh, 
And then the Bible makes that great statement, having loved his own, uh, he loved them unto the end. Uh, uh, well, didn't he always love them? Uh, uh, of course he did. He always loved them. But uh, the meaning holds out there that it was a swelling love. That that coming to the end, his love was even greater. Uh, uh, did you know there's times in your life you might love you love your children, uh, you love your wife, you love your husband, uh, and all of that. But there's times when that love swells. Uh, uh, there's times that you're just sitting there in the house and you look over at your wife and and she don't know what you're thinking, but you think you say, "Thank God that woman's been with me all these years and stood by me, and uh, she's a mother to my kids and a grandmother to my grandkids." Uh, and while you're sitting there, your love just swells. You already love her, but your love it just swells. Uh, and uh, maybe women do the same thing. Maybe they sit on the couch, look over there at their husband, and say, "Well." That man has stood by me. He's been there with me uh, through thick and thin. Uh, he's been with me to the hospital. Uh, he's been with me down to the cemetery. Uh, he's worked and provided and gave me a place to live and took care of me. Uh, and you sit there and think all that and your love, uh, uh, it just swells. I mean, you already love them, but there's moments when your love seems to swell or to reach uh, some kind of a height. Uh, and that's what's going on with Jesus here. And the Bible said, Jesus having loved His own, uh, He loved them uh, unto the end. Now, I want to, that's what I want to look at here for a, a few minutes for the Lord to be my helper. And I want to, I want to look here a minute uh, uh, at, at this love that Jesus had. Having loved His own, He loved them unto the end. Uh, and uh, we're going to see here that the Bible said in verse 1, Jesus knew that His hour is come. Uh, did you know most people, if they were, knew they were going to die, do you know what they'd be thinking about? They'd be thinking about their self. They'd be thinking about, I'm going to die. And they'd be thinking about what they wanted to do or what they needed to do. But you see, Jesus came down to this hour and He's not thinking about Himself. Uh, he does not say one thing about Himself. Uh, uh, what He has to say, He says on behalf of His disciples. Uh, and you see, uh, Jesus had come down here to the end uh, and His love is a selfless love. Uh, uh, you say, what's that mean? Well, that means uh, a selfless love is a love that's concerned more with the needs of others than they are their very own needs. Uh, uh, most people dying, most people in the situation Jesus is in, uh, uh, they wouldn't be concerned about others. Uh, uh, lost men would be like that thief on the cross uh, uh, that said, save yourself uh, uh, and us if you really be the Son of God. He wasn't concerned about Jesus. Uh, he wasn't concerned about Jesus saving himself. Uh, he was grabbing at life's straws and thinking maybe, uh, maybe this man is who he says he is and I can get off this cross uh, and he can save my life. Uh, uh, that's the way most people think when they come down time to die. They think only of their self. Uh, 
uh, and this thing's in reverse. Uh, uh, you see, it ought to have been the disciples uh, uh, thinking about him. It ought to be the disciples having loved him, loving him into the end. Uh, uh, but this thing is in reverse. Uh, and the Bible said the Lord, uh, he's the one that loves them unto the end. Uh, He's the one that's trying to comfort them. Uh, uh, why one more chapter over, he's going to look at them broken-hearted, sad, tear-filled-eyed disciples, uh, and he's going to say, uh, uh, let not your heart be troubled. Uh, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going away and prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and gather you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Uh, He's comforting them. He's trying to console them. Well, what a great picture that is of how the God thinks and how the Lord thinks. The Bible said, having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. Now, John is the writer of this. John's the one that that, that penned those words and said, having loved his own, which are in the world, he loved them unto the end. Uh, Luke didn't write that. Matthew didn't write that. Mark didn't write that. Uh, uh, but it's John that wrote that. Uh, you'll say why? Because John, uh, uh, he was always perceptive uh, uh, when it come to love. Uh, uh, if, if there was any love going on, John would see it. John would recognize it. Uh, and John's there in that room with all the other living disciples. Uh, and he sees Jesus there. He listens to Jesus. He hears Jesus. Uh, and John recognizes that this is uh, a, a, a love that's greater than any love uh, uh, that anybody has ever had. Uh, uh, John recognizes that. Why? In 1 John 4 and 10, John writes, Here is in love, uh, not that we love God, uh, but that God loved us. Uh, uh, this is a recognized love. Uh, uh, it's a love that's in reverse. They ought to have been comforting him. They ought to have been consoling him. Uh, but the Bible said he's consoling them. He's comforted them, the Bible says. And John recognizes that love. You can always recognize love. Greatest thing in this old world is love. The Bible said in John thir or in the first Corinthians thirteen, the Bible writer wrote a whole chapter and he called it charity. And you say, why didn't he call it love? Because the love that uh, that this world would think about if he'd have called it love, they'd thought about Hollywood, they'd thought about lust instead of love. But he called it charity. You say why? Because charity is always a given love. And that love found there in 1 Corinthians 13, that love uh, is a love uh, perfect. It's a perfect love he's talking about there. None of us have it uh, uh, yet. None of us have a perfect love. The only one that could fill all them verses in 1 Corinthians 13 is Jesus himself uh, uh, because he had a perfect love. Uh, but the Bible said now by the three things, faith, faith, uh, hope and charity and the greatest of these uh, is charity uh, love's the greatest thing uh, you say why well uh, because one day we're going to get to heaven we won't need faith no more uh, uh, one day we're going to get to heaven and we won't be hoping for nothing else because everything we hope for is going to be there uh, uh, but I'll tell you there'll be a never to never be a time whether here on earth or in heaven that you don't need love it's going to be a love personified. Why? Just look here 
not only here, but look over in John's other writings. You know, John wrote a lot of uh, first, second, third John, and also wrote Revelations. Just look there in the uh, in the uh, first John. Look there about uh, verse ten. The Bible said, "He that loveth his brother abideth in the light." First John two ten. Look down there in verse fifteen. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Uh, look there in chapter three and verse one. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Look there. Uh, just keep going there in First uh, John four. And look what he says there. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now neighbor, he didn't say God has love. He said God is love. God, the being of God is love, John said. He says there in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. John said there in verse 16, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is love perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. Look at verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. Uh, look at Second John. Look at verse six. And this is love. Uh, look at Third John. And look at verse uh, one. Uh, my well beloved Galatians, whom I love in the truth. I'm trying to establish the fact uh, that John was eat up with it. Uh, uh, John was that disciple uh, full of love, and he recognized love, and he seen love. Uh, and you can always recognize love. And I'll tell you what this old world needs tonight. They need more love. They need more, not love like the world's got, but they need more love like God's got, like God gives and like God fills us up with. This old world needs love. There's a thousand little boys and girls out there and they don't know nothing about a mama's love or a daddy's love or anybody else's love. But you and I have love. Love. And God wants us to give that love out. And John was a disciple of love. It's an old story. I was in Louisville on the third floor waiting room. Jewish hospital. I had somebody in there having surgery. And I was waiting on them. There wasn't nobody in there except me. A young lady about 25 year old. And an older black woman. We all sat there most of the day and finally a little while the door opened this man came out with surgery uniform on and I knew it was a doctor. And he went over there to that young young lady and he knelt down before and I couldn't hear what he told her. But whatever he told her, she just began to sob and cry. And you could feel it all over that waiting room. I mean, it was that kind of a sobbing, that kind of a cry that could be felt. And the Holy Ghost said, you ought to go over there and pray with her. And I argued with the Lord. With the Lord, I said, "I don't know this woman," and and I kept arguing. And about the time I about convinced myself to go, that old black lady got up, and she come across the room there, kneeled down in front of that woman that had been given bad news, and she knelt down there, and I could hear. Her. She said, "Honey, child, it'll be all right." 
She said, honey child, God will be with you. The Lord will take care of you. And boy, I'm telling you, love of God filled that whole room there. And I thought, Lord, that's, that's what this old world needs. Uh, uh, they need to see the love of God in the children of God when people are hurting and people are crying. Uh, uh, they need us to reach out to them. We're the only hands He has. We're the only mouth He has. We're the only eyes He has. We're the only feet He has. <laughs> During World War II, there was a big statue of Jesus somewhere over there in Germany. And the bombing and the bombing it jarred that statue, statue of Jesus. And the bombing shook the ground and shook the city. And it shook that monument so bad that the hands of Jesus fell off. And someone after the bombing was over, they took a piece of plywood board and they wrote on it and set it up there by the, by the statue and it said, We're the only hands Jesus has. Can I tell you that's the truth? We're His body. We're His body. You always recognize love. I recognized that love. Love has a connection. You've seen a picture this morning of my dear old preacher friends in heaven tonight, Brother Tuggle. And Brother Tuggle, I've never seen a man that loved his wife like Brother Tuggle loved his wife. He had a sign on the front of his car that said, I love my wife. If you go over there preaching for him, first place you're going is to the nursing home where his wife was. And his wife had Alzheimer's and she'd recognize him a little bit. That's about it. No, Brother Tuggle, he died in the pulpit. That was always what he'd say. He always said, I want to die in the pulpit. One Sunday morning he died in the pulpit. And uh, I went over and helped with his funeral. And the church was packed. I guess, uh, I guess if, if a funeral could be called great, I guess it's the greatest funeral service I was ever in. People shouting and, and God was all over the place. And the whole thing was perfect. They showed the videos and, and talked about Him and what the Lord had done for Him. And the whole thing was perfect. There was only one thing that I would have done different. They didn't bring Sister Ruby Tuggle over there to the funeral. They said, we're afraid that it might mess her up. And, and so they didn't bring her. But the Sunday morning when he died in the pulpit, that evening after the ambulance had took his body to the funeral home, and uh, after everything kind of got settled down, they said, we need to go over and see Ma. And they went over there, Sammy, to the nursing home where she was. And they went in. And they said, how you doing today, Ma? She said, I'm not feeling too good. They said, something hurting you, Ma? What's wrong? Something hurting you? She said, I don't know. I just feel like a part of me died today. <laughs> you see, love has a connection. Love is recognizable. If you ever see it, I don't care if it's in a movie. I don't care where it's at. If you ever see it, you'll recognize it. You'll recognize it. Love has a way of touching the heart. And us men, we don't, you know, our wives want us to watch some movie with them. And we'll watch it, you know. And, and there'll be an act of love. And our love, if it don't matter if it's out of Hollywood or where it's at, if it's true love, it's of God. 
You look over there and your wife's a bawling. You don't want to let her know that movie's touching you, you know, so you turn away like you got something in your, something in your eye or something. But true love's always recognizable. And John, he recognized it. And not only did he recognize it, he said this is such a great thing, we need to record it. And John wrote it in the Word of God. And John was so moved by that look that Jesus gave him. He said, you won't find his name in his writings. He just refers to himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved. He couldn't believe it. Jesus would love somebody like him. <laughs> you and I ought to feel the same way tonight. We ought to be overwhelmed tonight that Jesus would love somebody like us. But the Bible said, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. It was a selfless love. When he should have been thinking about himself, he's thinking about others. When he was dying on that old rugged cross, when he should have been thinking about, man, this is my last, my last few moments, and he should have been gasping, trying to get another breath in. He was talking to a thief. He said, Lord, remember me and thou comest into thy kingdom. And somehow or another he got enough wind to tell him, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. It was a selfless love. John 13, 5, there you read it, it said, And after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Not only was it a selfless love, but to do that deed he's doing, it's a stooping love. <laughs> And oh, what better, what better word could tell us of the love of God than it is a stooping love. You see, all this goes all the way back to John chapter 8 is when it all starts leading up to this night and this place where we're at. And in John chapter 8, you remember they brought that woman to him and they said she was taken in the very act of adultery. Moses' law said stone her, kill her, and they all got rocks. They're ready to get in on it. But the Bible said, verse 6, but Jesus stooped down. <laughs> Aren't you glad tonight that he stooped down? His love was a stooping love. He was up there. But he stooped down to come where you and I are tonight. God's love should never be thought in any other terms than that of a stooping love. He stooped down. You see, let's think about this a minute. Remember the Bible says, and you can see it all through this. Look at verse 1. Jesus knew that his hour was come. Look at verse 3. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things. Look at verse 11. For he knew, Jesus knew who should betray him. You say, what's that saying? That's saying he knows everything. 
Now bear that in mind when you realize that Jesus has just got up and tied a towel on, got a basin of water, and He's stooping down to wash twelve men's feet. He knows them all. He knows, he knows that in just a few hours that Peter will deny that he ever knew Jesus. He knows that in a few hours that Peter will swear and curse and say, I don't know the man. He knows that when he's washed his feet. He knows that when he gets over to Thomas. He knows that Thomas is a doubter and he knows that Thomas is going to say, I won't believe unless I see the prince in his hands. He knows that hours before this scene that John and James were arguing about which one would be the greatest. And he knows that not only were they arguing, but Mark 10, 35-42 says all the other ten were mad. Because the other two had tried to up their position in the kingdom of God. He knew that. And oh my Lord, I said this morning, Jesus washed the devil's feet. He knew, he knew that Judas was going to sell him for $19.20 and betray him. He knew that. But the Bible said stooping down, he washed his feet. He washed them feet knowing them men was all that kind of a person. Oh, he knew about you and me. He knew, he knew, he knew that we was going to do what we did and say what we say and betray him like we betray him and not love him like we ought to love him, not give to him like we ought to give to him, not tell others about him like we ought to tell others about him. He knew all of that. But he stooped down anyway. He stooped down from heaven and came down here to earth. Think about who we're talking about here. Look at verse 4. The Bible said, He riseth. Jesus. God. The Creator. He that made all things without Him was not anything made. He that came walking in the cool of the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. He that has all power in heaven and earth. We wouldn't have thought nothing about it if Judas had got up or if Peter had got up or John had got up or Matthew or Mark had got up. We wouldn't have thought nothing about it, but it said he got up. He got up. God. God got up and stooped down. Ain't that what he did? Isn't that the gospel story? <laughs> Isn't that, isn't that the old, old story that he got up and he stooped down? <laughs> Came down here. Didn't he come to wash us? And I talked about 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, but let's not, get, let's not forget John wrote Revelations. 
And John said in Revelations 1 and 5 to Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, that loved us and washed us in his own blood. Please notice how that's laid out. It didn't say he washed us and then loved us. It said he loved us and then washed us. I like to have just a little bit of that kind of love. That I can love people even when they know they'll stab me in the back. I like to have a little bit of that kind of love that even when people talk about me and say bad things about me, you say, oh, Brother Rick, nobody ever say anything bad about you. You want me to take you some places and show you some postings? I wish I could have that kind of love like Jesus had. When I know somebody lied, somebody's going to betray me, somebody's going to do me wrong, I'd like to have a little bit of that love. Like Jesus had a whole lot of. Jesus got up. See, here's the picture. The Bible said in Philippians 2 and verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it was not robbery to be equal with God, but he made of himself no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of a man, found in the fashion of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Your Bible is the best commentary on your Bible. Thank God for Matthew, Henry, and Clark, and and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and all the others that are out there, thank God for them, but the best commentary on your Bible is the Bible. Amen. In Philippians 2, said he humbled himself. There could be no better picture put in the Word of God than where we're at tonight in John 13 when he humbled himself and he stooped down and he washed the feet of men that he knew was sinful men and men that was going to deny him and betray him. And he knew all of that... Uh, he knew all of that. Why well, he knew just hours before they was arguing, fussing as he came in the room because of what Johns and James had, had asked if they could sit close to him. And he was upset because at this supper, John is leaning on him. Amen. See why? Because John, he wants to get as close to love as he can get. It's a selfless love. Having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. It's a selfless love. It's a stooping love. But look here in verse 15. The Bible said, Jesus said, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. It's a schooling love. He's teaching them something that they need to know. Some of the best lessons that you'll ever get are not spoken, they're seen. Some of the greatest sermons that you'll ever hear are not preached, they're lived. And if I've heard it once, I've heard it I don't know how many times. Brother Rick, they preach their own funeral. Somebody lives a good life and loves Jesus and loves the church and loves God and loves others and tries to do the best they can even though they stumble and fall. 
They do preach their own sermon. Paul said we're written epistles known and read of all men. Someone said you're writing a gospel a chapter each day by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men read what we write whether faithful or true. So what is the gospel according to you? Someone said preach the gospel every day. Use words if necessary. schooling love you see there's something we got to see here we got to see here that this is tradition this is what's always done it's like if I came to Sheila and Sammy's house tonight knocked on the door me and my wife and they welcomed us in and in a few minutes they'd say would you like some coffee would you like some tea uh, would you like something to eat that's tradition that's what we call southern hospitality and I know why they call it southern because you won't find it up north. Amen. You see, it's just a thing to do. Notice that the Bible said he riseth up from supper. He riseth up from supper. Look over in, and you'll remember this, if you'll look over in Luke chapter 7, and you'll remember when Jesus went down uh, went down to the tax collector's house, and uh, we won't read it all, but Jesus is in the Pharisee's house, and this woman comes in, and she begins to weep and cry over the Lord, and Simon gets bent out of shape because she's doing what he ought to be doing. That's why sometimes people get upset when somebody testifies. They're just mad because they know they're doing what they ought to be doing. And the Bible said, He turned to the woman and saith unto Simon, Seeth thou this woman? Jesus said, Look at this woman. He said, I entered into thy house. Underline it. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. In Jesus' day, the very first thing that should ever happen when anybody come into your home because of the dusty roads and no blacktop, no super highways, and because everybody won sandals or barefooted, and when they come to your house, the first thing you do is get them a pan of cool water uh, to cool their hot feet uh, and to wash their dirty feet where they've been walking. Uh, that was the very first thing that anybody would have ever done. Jesus has done been here long enough to do what he did. The Bible said they're not eating supper. He rises up from supper. You say, what are you saying? Jesus is just doing what somebody else ought to already have done. Any one of them disciples should have already had the water and pan. They should have washed Jesus' feet as soon as they came into the room. But they're, they're worried about who's going who's gonna to be the preacher's pet. They're, they're worried about a lot of other things and they're mad and sold out. They ain't thinking about washing Jesus' feet. Don't that sound like a Baptist church? Notice the timing of it. He rising up from supper. He got up and he went over there and he got that towel and he got that basin. He poured water in it and he starts over to, to the first one. Looks like it was Peter. And he got down there and he began to wash their feet. 
the very moment Jesus began to wash their feet, they knew he was doing what they should have already done. How many times have you and I been to a church service and we sit and argue with the Holy Ghost of God and we hold back on God and we, we argue with God and we do everything we can to keep doing what God wants us to do and about that time somebody else gets up and goes and does it. You say, why? They're just doing what you and I should have already done. The Bible said the timing of the thing was in that was after supper was over. It should have already been done. Jesus rising up. I'm talking about a schooling love. When Jesus got that pan and he got down to Peter, you can bet your bottom dollar they got the lesson. They got it. He's schooling, he's teaching them without saying a word. He's saying one of y'all should have already done this. And the tragedy of it is that all twelve felt the shame. You could have dropped a pin in that room. You could have heard it when it hit the floor. You say, why? Because at least eleven of them was all sitting there saying, I wish I'd have done that. What's Jesus doing down here washing my feet? I should be washing His feet. Why is He stooped down before me? I ought to be stooped down before Him. But be washing His feet. The Bible said in He, verse 5, He began to wash the disciples' feet. Why it moves me to tears to think about Him starting down here with Peter. And probably ending up with Judas. I know he's God because if he wasn't a God when he got to Judas, he'd have probably thrown the water in his face and turned around and walked off. But you see, as I said this morning, Judas went to hell because the only thing he ever got washed was his feet. I didn't say it this morning, but I'll say it tonight. That's like a that's like a Catholic going down to mass. Every week they go down to Mass and they're, every week they're telling the priest, I, I, I got drunk, I did this, I did that. Every week they're going down there. You see what the problem is? That's that second washing. Second washing don't count. It's null and void unless you've had the first washing. Now, there may be some Catholics that saved. I've met a few I believe were saved. I'm not judging them all and throwing them all out of the boat. I don't know. God's her judge. But I'm going to say this, and I feel God wants me to say it for some reason. Again, I said it this morning. But if all a person does, and you can, you can bet your bottom dollar, this old world's filled with people that every night before they close their eyes, they're asking the Lord to forgive them for something they've done that day, and they ain't never even been saved. They hadn't had that first washing. Jesus said, if you have that first washing, you're clean everywhere. But you still need that daily washing every day. But if you hadn't had the first washing, you're just wasting your time on that daily washing stuff. You're just wasting your time till you get saved. Jesus said, having loved His own, 
He loves them unto the end. Amen. Amen. End of this earthly life. He loved them till he, far as he could go, he loved them. He still loves them now, but he's up there now. But having loved them all, he loved them unto the end. The whole thing ought to be in reverse. They ought to be loving Him to the end. They ought to be washing His feet. But that's the way God is, isn't it? Didn't we read tonight that we love Him because He first loved me, loved us? God always makes the first move, don't He? God always makes the first move. I don't care what it is in the Christian life you're doing God always makes the first move. You never thought of it. You never started it. I don't care what it is. God makes the initial move. And then, and then, some people move and some people don't. Father, thank You for John that wrote this in the